Welcome back to yet another episode of Panel Scanners. This is a special episode because it's going to be just me and my person to my physical right I here. Know. Actually, in the same room yeah, as Darren it's in piping your basement. In. This is nice. I yeah. like the nature stone. I had considered it for my basement. And there was one problem with us doing nature stone, and that is that Maria didn't want it. That is a pretty big problem. So that, now, was, that turned to be a, an insurmountable uh, task for me to overcome, and I just said, all right, whatever. Well, domestic tranquility is, is yes. supersedes nature. Yes, so uh, it, but in, in her defense, she's been right about every single other thing, so I kind of <laughs> went, I really don't have a leg to stand on here, and I'm not going to. We should all be so lucky. Um, now, I... Darren, this has been for his benefit. Would you say that the toys scattered around the room really bring it all together? Would you say oh that that's really gosh, what, what I brings feel right it at home. I know this is outstanding. So, but this is very special for us. Not only is this a special episode in terms of the thematic uh, point of this episode, but also the fact that this is going to be the first time that Darren and I have recorded together. And man, this has got to be when I was guest. You guested <laughs> on a Star Wars a episode, I believe. It yeah. Was I want to say it was our final Star Wars special. And now I will say that with you and Mark joining the podcast since then, I do feel that there will be other Star Wars specials on the horizon. But at that time, we were billing it as our final Star Wars special. We did three of them once the announcement uh, that Disney had purchased Star Wars. Uh, we said, all right, well, we're leading into these movies. Let's do some Star Wars specials. And I took it upon myself to acquire copies of or uh, trade paperbacks, actually compendium editions, of the original Marvel run of the Star Wars comics. Yep. And I remember I was on the last of the three we were going to do. So do I have this? No, I believe this might have been the second Star Wars special um, that I was doing the second part of the, the middle run of the comics. So I think it was something like 30 because they did 108. And I think it was like the middle. So I want to say it was probably like 30 to 70 something or other. I, I, I was uh, reviewing. And when we were recording it, this was, was f this is, would have been with Phil and Tim. Uh, my daughter had to go to the hospital. It was not, ended up being nothing, nothing serious. This is pre-CJ. And we had to stop. And I, it was before I did the um, – had done the, the, the retro review of the middle chapter or the middle number of issues of the, the Marvel comics. And that was a big selling point for the specials. So I enlisted your help to come into my classroom after school and listen to me talk to you about – the comics but the thing that had occurred was it was about a week after we recorded and then we had both seen the last jedi mm -hmm. and i think we went into that you assuming that i loved it and i assumed that you didn't love it and then that turned into a real interesting conversation before i talked about vader getting punched in the face by a cyborg and all the weird weird things that happened uh in those comics but this we've had this uh running gag and this sort of back and forth about The Last Jedi ever since. Yeah, and I remember that actually because I remember saying, I think I, I misquoted and said something about Gareth Edwards and he's, I believe, the one who directed Rogue One and, and I was thinking to myself, for some reason, I, I didn't, I couldn't pull the name Ryan Johnson up in my head when we did that, but I remember that specifically and I remember us talking about it hypothetically because we had not seen it yet. So, so that's, that's what this is I all about. I believe that's what that was. All so these yeah, years later, yeah. just to correct that error. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. so, <laughs> so we can stop, right? We don't have to so talk we, about Yeah, absolutely. Anymore. I think this is, this is perfect. So so as you guys know, um, if you're longtime listeners of the show, or at least longtime listeners over the last, what, year, probably about 14, 15 months, I think we've yeah. been doing this together, um, alongside uh, our friends in absence, which are Mark and Gary and Phil, um, has been a running joke about how 
out of all of the Star Wars films, Darren's number one with a bullet is The Last Jedi. <laughs> now, you I, hear I, Darren laughing. Now, obviously, this is done facetiously, and I think we've got a couple of running gags about, you know, yes. uh, Phil not knowing anything about Marvel, specifically Spider-Man trivia, or you true. loving The Last Jedi, or uh, all the um, double entendres, I think, that come out of the mouths of all of us here on this show. Um, but nonetheless... But in all reality, uh, uh, Darren and I stand on, I wouldn't say polar opposites. I would say I'm somewhere more in the middle, maybe kind of towards favoring this film. And you are definitely of the contingent that did not care for 2017 release. I would say that is The Last Jedi. Yes, that's accurate. Okay, excellent. So we've just for the sake of this conversation, uh, the purpose of this exercise is not to try to convince Darren that The Last Jedi is a good film, or more importantly, just a good Star Wars film. Instead, we we really wanted to take a moment here to focus on what exactly the problems were that Darren had with the movie. So we both decided that we would spend uh, roughly about two hours and 27 minutes of our time, I think is the runtime for The Last Jedi. <laughs> yeah. Uh, counting credits, which neither of us would sit through, but nonetheless, um, you know, so roughly about two hours and 20 minutes of our life that, that we were going to spend. Now, uh, full disclosure, I saw this movie twice in the theater. I did too. Okay. Did excellent. I? So Maybe I didn't. I, I, no, I think I, I know I've seen it more than once um, because I had to sort of like make sure I wasn't wrong about things. And I was actually going back almost because I wasn't blown away with the film and ended up enjoying it a lot more the second time than I did the first time. So I think that's definitely something that I walked away with. And I, I don't know that that was necessarily the experience for everybody that went to go see this film. So we're going to go ahead and give a brief recap. I don't think we need to belabor the point of a five-year-old film. Uh, but in retrospect, we'll go ahead and do a synopsis of the film. But first, we're going to do a pre-discussion in here. And, and all I want to do now is just kind of talk to Darren about, like, when we first thought up this really, really bad idea and making ourselves rewatch this film that, that you were a vocal critic of up to this point, was there anything that you remembered before we sat down and watched it again that you were like, just like, oh, I cannot wait to hate this portion of the movie. I cannot wait to watch this or I can't believe I'm going to have to sit through this piece or anything like that. Yes, and I, I won't be um, too detailed in this because I'm sure we're going to use that in a little bit here, but it's the overall portrayal of Luke Skywalker yes. is my biggest... And I think most people that dislike this film are in the same camp. Mm -hmm. that it, it's I said in a podcast, it's character assassination. You and you're not the only one too. Actually, kind of what spawned this idea was I, I was listening to another podcast. Um, and if you get the opportunity when you're done listening to this one, check out a blank check podcast. But they had a guest on there who was talking about now the the episode that they were talking about was not about Star Wars. Actually, it was uh, about I believe it was Spider Man Two. Um, but nonetheless, they were talking about it, and the 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 guest came on, and Chris Gethard, he actually had a really good point about this one. And I think this kind of summarizes your thing, which is Luke became very cynical in this movie is that kind of what your biggest takeaway is of this yes um which if that is the direction you're going to go with the character i need to see why and the reasons they gave were as thin to me as paper yeah and i can't say i necessarily disagree with you um you know i did think i as we get into the film, and I know we're going to talk about it beat by beat a little bit more, um, I know that at the end of The Force Awakens, we see Rey standing across from Luke. And I think both you and I were very, very excited about this portion of the film is because we knew it's pretty much where the next film was going to begin. And right. I think there was a lot of hope and anticipation for what this meant about about what it was. Um, no, So I think that is some of the problem that we run into in terms of like expectations and did the movie 
go in a very different direction. I would say decidedly that it did. Uh, and I think that that's probably easy to, to point out. And I think that's some of what people have uh, that they get frustrated by. Um, so you're, the character assassination of Luke Skywalker. Okay, so you don't care for that. Was there anything else that you felt really kind of just, and I just knew this point was going to come up and I just wasn't really wild about it? So uh, I feel as though a lot of what was set up in the movie was very quickly undone. Hmm. Um, we're thinking about like just uh, Kylo Ren's identity, mm-hmm. which is very strong. They, they they spend a lot of time in the Force Awakens setting that up, and it feels like they do as much as they can to quickly extinguish that, like take the stupid helmet off and all this, and you know, and then which is weird because then like you were actually mentioning on one of our previous podcasts, like, and then it seems like the third one is all about getting back to where we were. At the end of the Force Awakens, before we could move on, mm-hmm. so that was bothersome. I just didn't buy that we're gonna slowly chase the Rebel Alliance or the Resistance across the galaxy. They're somehow just out of reach. I don't remember what the explanation was. I don't remember buying it then. I don't remember actually quite understanding it. I think um, it's not unfair to say that it's it exists little as little more than a remake of the empire strikes back as just as the force awakens was little more than a remake of the original star wars i don't like canto bright that was very prequel star wars to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean you you could kind of go through it and go empire strikes back the last jedi of the two which features a battle with adats across a very snowy like field <laughs> a you, bleak you, landscape yeah, at least. Bleak, yeah. Snowy like, so your answer would be <laughs> yeah so sure well hoth i mean is that what you're talking well, about both yeah, right yeah, they yeah, both yeah, have it for sure of the two um which of them has a in which of the two in the middle of the movie does yoda counsel luke skywalker <laughs> and your answer is well they both do Absolutely. right of the two where do some of the main heroes uh, find themselves in a very affluent community where they try to befriend someone who then betrays them to the Empire Resistance. And your answer would be? Both, absolutely. Right, see? Sure, sure. So, I mean, there's a trend here. So now it's like, not that you're... Ex- you wouldn't want Star Wars to be like an M. Night, an early M. Night Shyamalan movie where you're waiting for the big twist, but you're hoping for a little more than remakes. And... Star Wars, the original Star Wars, has been remade a bunch of different times. Mm-hmm. Like Guardian, the first Guardians of the Galaxy. And I know what you're saying right now, Mark, that I'm wrong. You are wrong. <laughs> um, so, I mean, as like I said, like, did you like The Force Awakens? Like, well, I liked it when it was called Star Wars. Yeah. I yeah. liked it when it was called Return of the Jedi. I liked it when it was called Guardians of the Galaxy. Why wouldn't I like it when it's called Star Wars again? Well, and I think you and I talked about that right away. I don't think that was anything that we were not aware of when The Force Awakens came out. I think we were just like, man, that was a really good remake yes. of Agreed. A New Hope. And, and and it was like one of those things. But I think timing matters for everything. So this is only good two years point. on the heels of Force Awakens. And Force Awakens was an absolute blockbuster. I, I, we talked about it on, on an episode back in July where we were talking about um, you know the impact of, of the Disney purchasing the right to Lucasfilms, how much they purchased it for, and then the expectations that the studio put on J.J. Abrams. And it was with an interview, I think, with his wife uh, shortly after the film came out and was very successful. She's like, $2 billion was the number we had in our head from a, a, a worldwide grossing uh. standpoint of here's how much this movie needs to make to make it worth the, the purchasing of these rights to these films and also the cost of the actual film itself 
which is just an astronomical number. And the fact that that was not only met, but then exceeded uh, expectations is really a testament to just how it really captured our imagination again and put us back into these worlds and gave us these characters a second time around. And it didn't feel, while the, the storyline itself was somewhat retread, it didn't feel like we weren't enjoying ourselves going along the ride. So I think, for the most part, I think everybody went into The Last Jedi with a certain amount of goodwill. Everybody, for the most yeah. part, the, the big... The big consensus i felt after the force awakens was like wow this is really kind of up there in the top four or five of, of star wars films in in terms of fandom and i think everybody really appreciated it now I, I think from a box office standpoint we could discuss this maybe a little bit later or at a separate time where we're talking about it i don't think anybody expected the last jedi to hit the same numbers that the force awakens did i don't think that was necessarily the expectation am i right or wrong on this one Do you uh, think would... coming out of it I would assume that's probably correct. Yeah. Um, I, I, I will say that a couple of months ago, uh, I don't remember exactly what episode this was, but I talked about um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I went through all the box office numbers. And The Force Awakens, as I recall, is number five all time. Um, so, yeah, I, I find them interesting. They don't mean anything to me, the box office numbers, mm -hmm. but I do find them interesting. And it's widely you know the empire strikes back is most star wars fans number one mm -hmm. if you grew up in the original trilogy era so but that didn't do the same business as the original star wars um so it, it i think the force awakens had the benefit of distance mm -hmm. because the large i mean the prequel trilogy is what it is there are those who absolutely swear by it mm -hmm. there are those like myself that Ended up having to put Star Wars away for a while after that was sure. all said and done. And you had now then and the, Star Wars had become a television property mm -hmm. with the Clone Wars and that. But it was set in a prequel era. So you didn't have Luke. You didn't have uh, all that. And the thing it had going for it, The Force Awakens over the uh, the Last Jedi, was the promise of Han Solo. Mm -hmm. And Princess Leia mm -hmm. and Luke Skywalker were going to come back. Right. And that springboarded it and i think spoiler alert it's your fault though once you kill off han solo <gasps> which then you now know that luke and han never reunite luke mm -hmm. han and leia never reunite that empty promise is now official i think that kind of took the wind out of a lot of people's cells, even though they were still very enthusiastic about it and i think you could kind of forecast that han solo wasn't going to make it to the second movie yeah. right Still, I think that took a lot of people like, okay, you, you really teased me that there was going to be this great reunion and we're going to have another adventure and you're not giving it to me now. Mm -hmm. So I think that took a lot of the wind out of the sails that might have helped carry The Last Jedi a little bit further at the box office. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so we're going to go ahead. So I think Darren's biggest issues with The Last Jedi um, is that... I, I know that and I don't think you're the only one it's, it's like this truest of, of what the the emotion the characters that got us to this point and you just didn't feel like The Last Jedi necessarily brought that they, it wasn't respectful of the established characters that you felt like it was and we kind of didn't fulfill the promises that we were expecting is Correct. that fair? Okay. yeah let's think about like you come outside you come off of the prequel trilogy and there's so many things that just eventually turned off Star Wars fans mm -hmm. but he, Luke Skywalker coming off of that was untouched. And in a lot of ways, he was kind of the forgotten man of the Star Wars universe. Mm -hmm. Because 
I mean, he it's his story. He's the dynamic character from the original trilogy. Sure. Pretty much it's his, it's when you Han Solo a little bit changes, but most of the people you meet him in Star Wars, they're the same at the end of Return of the Jedi. Yes, they are. Luke is yeah. not. He's the dynamic character. His journey is what you're following. He's the one that brings balance to the Force, right? Mm -hmm. But now, of course, they had to redo that. So Ray was the one who finally brought balance to the yes. Force, is what they're saying. Um, <laughs> it's so funny that if you think about it, for so long we grew up with Luke bringing balance to the Force, but in actuality, he probably s slowed that down <laughs> in the Last Jedi, like. Not only did you not do it, you stunted it for a while. <laughs> um, well, but I think this is something we can get into too. I think the the as we talk about the last Jedi and the character specifically, I know you, one of your biggest frustrations with the the most recent trilogy has been the character of Kylo Ren, and I know that the the discovering and the development of Kylo Ren is what brought an imbalance to the Force, and therefore that's what reawoken, or that's rather what woken up raise powers right i think is kind of like generally what snoke is trying to say throughout this film um but i think that's the idea so i think from that perspective from the overall star wars arc i think it's, it's definitely hit its mark in that regard but let's go ahead and, and if you don't mind just kind of humoring me a little bit oh, we're just going to go through the plot the plot okay. points with this one okay so as we start off we have arguably would you say at least be fair and say it's probably the funniest beginning of a star wars film <laughs> yeah, there's definitely humor there, and I will say, I think I know what you're talking about, and there's one moment at the beginning that kind of takes me out of it right away. Like, almost like, it, you're no, it's like you're no longer in a galaxy far, far away. You know, it's like they're talking as if they're over here in Broadview Heights. Or in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There was a certain part of it yeah, where there was a little kind of better. like a, almost yeah, like a... A fourth wall breaking kind of like a joke, and and as far as what we're talking about now is the relationship between I'm sorry the conversation between Poe Dameron and Colonel Hux. So um, our Commander Hux, I can't think of his title. Off the top of my head. General Hux, you're right. I'm sorry. And so I think that that initial part of it, when that was the first scene that came up in this film, I was very very surprised. Now I was one of those folks in the theater who was laughing pretty hard at this moment. So I thought I was like, man, this is this is going to be interesting. I'm not sure what I'm in for yet. I was not. Yeah, and I'll tell you why. Because in the Force Awakens, General Hux, I thought they were setting him up to be like Grand Moff Tarkin, this um, leader who was not at all afraid of Kylo Ren. Mm -hmm. In fact, is basically trying to get Kylo Ren removed because he doesn't trust him, and doesn't like him, and he is set up to be like I said, the Grand Moff Tarkin, this this leader, this diabolical leader, this kind of scary villain, mm -hmm. where. You know, you, you this is someone you don't want to mess with. This, you know, as much as worried about Kylo Ren, the Resistance has got to worry about him because then he gives that speech, right? And the Force Awakens, basically talking, like getting everyone fired up, and he believes everything he says. Oh, absolutely. And he is probably your biggest danger. And immediately in the second, he becomes a comedy character. He becomes well. They peel the. I will say that that the the Ryan Johnson's treatment of the General Hux character was a was a step in the way, and, and I do believe that, in all honesty, The the Force Awakens, or I'm sorry, The uh, the Rise of Skywalker kind of handled this somewhat well with the development of his character overall, uh, but I thought that was an interesting, like, turning him kind of into, okay, we're peeling back layers. He's really just, 
a man grasping for power. And it's almost as if the, the impetus has nothing to do with the cause. He could, it doesn't appear to me like the First Order is really anything that he cares about at this point. It's his own self-aggrandizement that he's a real driving force. And I would say that that's probably, that's kind of interesting in that regard, I would say. And, and I think you get that right away. So, of course, we had the big battle scene. Well, can we say oh, one go ahead. other yeah, scene? Yeah, no, no, sure. The whole holding for General Hux. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's when we got we kind of went, we, we were taken out of it right away. Like, And that's what I'm, yeah, that was funny, though. I, I like that. And I still enjoy that scene now. I know why it doesn't feel, it, it doesn't feel like the, the kind of humor that was in the, even in the pre- prequels yeah. or in the original trilogy. I think I, I know what moment you're speaking of in, yeah, the, in, the pre- yeah. in The Force Awakens where, uh, Finn says, I'm having a real messed up day right now. Mm-hmm. See, I always felt like, even in the prequel trilogy, the dialogue was very careful not to sound like someone talking here. I mean, they're speaking English. Sure. But not to like use colloquialisms and not to use uh, expressions that we would be familiar with. And it always reminds me of the, that Simpsons gag like uh, where they meet Kang and Kodos and Lisa says you speak English it's like actually actually I'm speaking Talaxanese it's just by some remarkable coincidence that our languages are exactly the same <laughs> um, so I, I mean I'm not saying it killed the movie but it, it does take you out of it for a moment and like you're saying it's almost like they're breaking the fourth wall like a little wink to the camera and I'm like mm-hmm. you know Star Wars did real well with humor before this but now it's almost like you know, and, and, and we we spoke a little bit about with the Boba Fett show. I mean, there's times in there where you could go. There's a laugh track that you could easily insert in this thing, and parts where you could put the Benny Hill theme on that show, and it's just like, oh man. I mean, the problem with that is, if you're trying to make me believe the stakes are high, mm-hmm. now I don't believe the stakes are high. Now I'm not. I'm not even interested in what the stakes are. I'm like, oh wait, so I shouldn't be afraid of General Hux. And now uh, Oliver, uh, Oliver I- Isaac Oliver, uh, what's his name? No, you had, yeah. It's uh, a, uh, oh, yeah I think it's Oliver Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac, thank you. Oscar Good Isaac Lord. is now basically winking at the camera going, yeah. hey, look how funny yeah. I am. So yeah. right away I'm sort of, I'm not on board. Sure. Well, we haven't gotten past the first scene, so this snaps is going to take a little <laughs> while. Okay, so we okay. had that in the situation. Um we have the whole point in that first scene is really just him trying to blow up this massive ship, which is the Dreadnought. Um, he does so, but he does so at great expense of the Resistance. Um, there is a beautiful scene between him and, well, I'm, I'm editorializing here, between him and Leah, in which she says basically like, yeah, you did it, but at what cost? And, and you've got to look at all these things. These are, And he says, those are heroes. And she says to him, yeah, they're dead heroes. And so there was like this moment where he doesn't fully understand the scope of what it is that he's done. And he's still just kind of like really only planning for the next step ahead, which I'm sure up to that point has probably served his character well. But as Leia's pointing out, she's like, that's not how you win these kinds of wars. And so it's just kind of interesting in that regard. But basically, that's it. We had the very beginning of that part, uh, and and then we move on. Now we move on to the world of Octo, uh, in which Ray is attempting to meet with Luke Skywalker and seek counsel from him in this situation. Now, 
this was an interesting scene, or this was an interesting series of events, I think, throughout this part of it. And I think it's pretty much Star Wars. If you're going to say there's a template, you pretty much are going to be visiting at least three worlds throughout every single Star Wars episode, if not maybe a fourth one. Like a right? James Bond movie. Yeah, right. I mean, you've, but you've got really three settings. And, and as Mark has jokingly pointed out, he's waiting for us to visit a world in which there's a fully developed ecosystem yeah. in which there <laughs> he's are right multiple that, climates. Right? Is this just a jungle planet? Is this a sand planet? Is Boy, it a water planet? Lucky, is it? We? <laughs> we get all of it. Earth is very unique in the sense that it apparently inhabits um, Mark is multiple. Right about that. Um, but we go to Octo, which is predominantly a water planet. It does have, um, you know, some islands and stuff like that, which is where Luke is currently residing, uh, and he's residing and protecting the ancient Jedi text. Now Ray seeks him out, and he is unwilling to assist her in her hopeful development into the Jedi, uh, into a Jedi, basically stating that. The Jedi are nothing more than a series of failures. Look at the history. Jedis have always sought out. We've always been, and it's always been plagued by self-righteousness. Now, a couple of things that I'm kind of interested in. How was your, how did you feel about this portrayal of the Jedi with what he's talking about? With there essentially being a group of people who are well-intentioned, but well-intentioned failures. I don't understand how he would arrive at that conclusion. Um, because he grew up in an era in which everyone was oppressed because the Jedi were gone. Mm-hmm. And he's preaching about they were self-righteous, but he basically goes to train with the last Jedi. So the only Jedi he the only two Jedi he ever encountered were Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda, both of whom what we would think Luke would hold them in the, the absolute highest regard. They're the closest things, you know, his uncle and those two were his father figures um, to the point where, and if he wants to talk about being self-righteous, and the one thing, I, I mean, if you can talk, go back to the Empire Strike or Return of the Jedi, I can't kill my old father. Hey, Yoda, Yoda should have said, you know, he's murdered like a billion people. <laughs> this is not so, I mean, you don't, no one's going to blame you if you do this, buddy. Sure, sure. But, um, so I don't know where, and I don't think they explain like why he comes to this conclusion. Other than, and I, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We'll wait to the dream. So I, I don't know why he's bitter. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I to this day, they don't. Exp- I mean, they do explain why he such shuts himself off and goes away and go goes away and hides. But. That's a really, really flimsy explanation, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll get to. Sure, no, absolutely. And, and on Octo, we see Ray. Uh, you know, she kind of explains a little bit of her background. She starts experimenting a little bit with the Force. This is where we find out about kind of like Luke's uh, relationship to Kylo Ren, right? Uh, when he was Ben Solo, uh, and what exactly it was. Um, and, and in here, we had initially a confusing interaction between Ray and and Kylo Ren's character, in which they're able to communicate with each other across the, as if there's no distance between them right as if the power of the force is is allowing them to communicate with each other in a way that is like less about feeling and literal communication so this was one of those moments where i was like oh, okay i'm having to suspend a lot my preconceived notions about what the force could do this kind of like went a little bit further well and it would go even further than that eventually but that also was like teenagers on the phone <laughs> And especially it's like, oh, could you put on a shirt, please? And he's like, well, you don't like what you see? I mean, <laughs> at some point, like, now there's sexual tension between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I that was hard to take. 
And I felt bad because both of those two are wonderful performers. I think if there's a strength to the original sequel trilogy, it's Ray, her uh, Daisy Ridley. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think she's a terrific actress. I think she did a really great job. I, I feel like she, I was, and that Force Awakens, they, they're like, you're going to have to get behind her. And it wasn't long before I did. Right. And now, like, she's on the phone. Like, I was I was waiting for her to start twirling her hair and, like, uh. popping her gum. And <laughs> <laughs> no, instead she blasts a, a hole through the, the place where she's residing. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so, okay, so... Punching drywall. Right, exactly. <laughs> so she's going through this. Uh, we realize that she is, at the end of all of it, she's still a young person who's trying to find her parents. Uh, and trying to find out uh, a little bit more about her parents. And I think we see that uh, when she starts to experiment a little bit more with the Force and is kind of drawn to the dark side, at which point Luke basically says to her, you know, like, you didn't even try to resist the dark side. And and it scares him to a little bit because, you know, there's only been a couple of other people that he's really seen this in, specifically, you know, this is Ben Solo. This is, you know, he, he never saw this level of Force. And it was his own, I believe as he puts it, his own hubris and his ability to teach Ben that, that caused him to look past the fact that he was a young man who is prone to to possible the uh, uh, you know falling victim to the dark side um, so we go through this process here uh, but but as the movie goes it is cutting it is splicing through both through the resistance and then it, Daisy Ridley's experiences Ray at Octo and then also the experience that that Kylo Ren is having with his uh, Supreme Leader Snoke um, and we go to arguably your favorite of and I'm saying this of course uh, tongue-in-cheek your favorite of all Star Wars locations which is Kanto Bight um, so our characters uh, Finn and a mechanic Rose who were introduced as well as BB-8 they go uh, they're they're basically going against the orders of Haldo who is played by Laura Dern's character uh, who after I guess we're kind of skipping over arguably one of the weirdest spots of the movie, which is when Leia is blown from the the control deck into space and then uses the force to get back onto the ship. And I was, you know, and, and we can do this maybe in the, the kind of looking back on it as some of the things that I'm having a hard time with. But of course, you know, she's she's basically in a coma at this point. So we are given uh, the leader Haldo again, played by Laura Dern, who actually thought it did an amazing job. I thought she, she as a character was really, really impressive. And obviously her, her storyline is brief, but it's, it's very tragic and very beautiful in that regard. Um, But nonetheless, Finn and Rose and and BB-8, they go to Kanto Bight because essentially what they're trying to do is try to find a code breaker who can get onto the ship, the Imperial ship, uh, of the first order, rather, and and basically disable the tracker that they've got on on the big ship, the resistance ship that is able to track them through hyperspace. So you were going to say something, though. So Laura Dern's character, Admiral Holdo, I mean, she basically um, rams a ship into the star destroyers, mm-hmm. which is a breathtaking scene. I mean, and I think. One of the problems I have, and it's difficult to talk about this because of the obvious circumstances surrounding the movie, Carrie Fisher actually passes away the previous December prior to this release. Now, I think a lot of fans, so I'm not saying anything new, and it's not original at all. I'm not going to claim this is my thought, but I think an obvious thing was why didn't Leia and Holdo switch places? Because could you imagine? um, There would not have been a dry eye in the house that... If she was the one who went down with the ship, and that, and, and I, I know, forgive me, let me, let me no, finish my thought. So I know that she cannot then reunite with Luke at the end, which wasn't really that great. 
No. I think a lot of people were off by that point. And I think Holdo fits in the third movie in Leia's spots just fine. And it doesn't... And I know there was a lot of moments in that third movie because she didn't shoot any scenes for that third movie. They were, the scenes were recycled, right? Yeah, they had to be. So I kind of... When I hear about that, I'm, I'm always kind of like looking for that. Like, it's like, this doesn't... It's, I mean, they did a fine job. But I just feel like if you had established Holdo and she... It, it, they switch places so easily. And I know the fan base is like, why didn't you do that? You had a year. Now, I, again, I'm not going to comment on, on the difficulties of doing that, but I mm-hmm. feel like Star Wars, I mean, to me, Star Wars always led the charge in visual effects. Sure. Um, whereas something like Star Trek was always a shoestring budget. Star Wars is always the, you know, the, the, the luxury um, sedan of visual effects. So I I don't know. That's a tough thing to talk about. I just mm-hmm. think from a story aspect, it just made a whole lot more sense. What say you? Well, yeah, I was kind of surprised actually, and and I'm not gonna lie. When I w- I remember when I first saw Leia pulling herself back onto the ship with the Force, I was just like, because initially in in that scene, you've also got Kylo Ren, who you know he's he's trying to blow up the ship as well, and he's sensing his mother on the ship, and um, to me that was such a beautiful poetic moment of her being sucked out into space. Like that scene. And that's going to be another thing that we get to talk to in the recap of this one is, is the film versus the story itself. Um, but you have like her being sucked up into space. And I was like, that is such a beautiful death. It, it is so poetic. And, and I know that the killing of Han Solo hurt a lot of us, but I think from a poetic standpoint and having him son, his son kill him in the force awakens, it was really just a beautiful death. And it was something that I thought was really impressive. And I was like, wow, they're really, they're doing it. They're killing off these characters in a way that is, is touching. And, and like you said, that's that's easy to do because we are so emotionally invested in these characters. But when, when she pulled herself back onto the ship, I was just like, oh, come on. Just and the implications on, there also like, okay, so clearly she should have been a Jedi. <laughs> um, she, It's all there. And... It's what we'd all been waiting for. Yeah, and really the only... I mean, you and I have talked about it, and I haven't read all of them, but the heir to the Empire does imply that she obviously has force... She's force-sensitive, she's force-capable, all these things. But in the films, they never really discussed it at length in any way, shape, or form. I think they alluded to it, especially in Return of the Jedi, but I don't think it was any of those things where it was like really... Like she wasn't fully capable of that, and all of a sudden now she can pull her body through space. You know, and that—that's yeah. where it was just a little bit. And it's funny because you talk about the heir to the empire, and you talk about why wasn't she trained? Like, when were they going to do that? Because they—they—they they, they, they did a really nice job in those books of um, saying like how many different directions they were all being pulled. Like Luke couldn't even be there to mm-hmm. train her because he was off doing whatever he was doing, trying to track down uh, the the character that was—I don't remember his name. He was a clone Jedi, and did you know that clone was it was supposed to be a clone of Obi Wan Kenobi? Oh, is that right? And they they wouldn't yeah. have him do it. Um, but so it act, there was at least a practical reason that um, there was just no way they had time because if you're going to train as a Jedi, that's it. That's all you're doing, mm-hmm. and there's just no way she was going to be available for that. Right, not and be a diplomat um, on time. Right, so they kind of like you're going to have to live with what you got. Yeah, um, and the reasoning we 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 suspect the reason she was not trained as a Jedi is because of Luke's dream. Yep. That he so that's it. And so here again, because of this real flimsy explanation, you're not going to get Leia as a Jedi. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, that was that was one of those moments where I think I really really missed an opportunity in that regard. Um, but that's not the point of this this exercise here. So we're just we're gonna look at this a little bit further. Then so we go to Kanto Bite at this point, getting back to that scene. And and this you kind of compared to uh, the Cloud City, correct? Yes, it's the yeah. affluent suburb yeah. of the galaxy, right? Yes. That's how I, that Bespin looked like this beautiful. Everyone was dressed well and mm -hmm. these mm -hmm. luxurious quarters. That's kind of how in Lando is this administrator who turns out to be a scoundrel. Absolutely. And essentially, Kanto Bite, you can just take out, uh, you know, it's the Las Vegas, right? Yes. Or, or uh, oh, I can't, off the top of my head, they visit there in um, one of the James Bond films, but just one of those gambling areas where almost, you know, very little law around what it is that they're doing. Oh, uh, that Italian all, city, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Monaco, possibly. Yeah, that's but then it, I'm that's also it. thinking right, about right, right. The, the place off of um, Southeast Asia. But yeah, and so, but at any rate, the whole thing is they go to Kanto Bite. They're trying to find this particular hacker who can go ahead and get into the the Imperial system, or I'm sorry, the First Order system to be able to to disable this tracker that they've got. They don't bump into him, although we are alluded to that it might be Justin Thoreau's character. Instead, who they bump into is Benicio del Toro. Uh, and his character, who seems to be fully capable of it. And, and I think that some of the scenes that he's involved in are very interesting because they steal a ship in order to get off, get off of Kanto Bight to get back into the resistance movement uh, and that kind of thing. And on there is actually kind of an important scene between he and Finn in which, you know, is this a good guy ship? Is this a bad guy ship? And, uh, and, and basically Del Toro's character walks him through this idea. He's like, he shows him a couple of TIE fighters, right? And he says, oh, yeah, he's selling arms to the bad guys. Oh, here's another one to the bad guys. Here's another one to the bad guys. Oh, look at this. Here's an X-Wing. So this guy also made money off the good guys, too. He's like, some folks are not good or bad. Sometimes they're just profiting off of, you know, who's to determine who's good and bad in this situation. It's all a matter of perspective. You know, each each side feels justified in doing what they're doing, you know? And I think that's... To a certain extent, um, you know, you could almost say to some people, it's like, well, but if the First Order brought order to the galaxy, which is considered to be that they view as such chaos, uh, then you could almost say to yourself, okay, well, there's the rationale. That's what they are doing it for. Um, obviously, we know it's more than that. We know it's it's power, it's hunger, it's it's domination. That's obviously the, the bad side of it. Um, but, you know, you've got these groups that are they're clearly um, diametrically opposed to one another. Um, but nonetheless, these characters get absconded by the First Order, uh, and they are brought in front of um, General Hux as well as um, as your uh, is Captain Phasma, which is kind of interesting. And then, of course, uh, as you alluded to before, Haldo then uh, goes into uh, hyperspace, and she basically just suicide bombs the ship, uh, for lack of a better phrase. She just kind of goes through this, which to me is an interesting experience because that's probably one of the darkest moments of all Star Wars movies. Yeah. Am I, I wrong on that one? No. I would say probably maybe the ending of Rogue One is probably up there in terms of just its bleakness, although I think the end of Rogue One was, was again, you know, very beautiful. Um, and this was too, but it was just one of those moments where it was like, oh man, the Star Wars really went there as a universe. Like, this is really... This is difficult to stomach. I suspect that there were so many reviews and so many fans who I think would have defended this would say that this movie took Star Wars in a bold new direction. And mm -hmm. I guess that's what they point to because I struggled to find out what the bold new direction was. Mm -hmm. So, And I, I, to this day, I'm like, well, they didn't really go anywhere they hadn't been before. Mm-hmm. Um, so do I, would you like me to respond to the whole counterpart? Should we should we save that to my 
litany of issues where I can just kind of <laughs> I can just spew it all forth. Sure. Yeah, let's go ahead and finish recapping the film, okay. and then then we'll go ahead and say what are the things that still bothered you about the movie even after rewatching it with an open mind. Um, okay. So now we land on the um, the planet of crate which used to be an old outpost for the early resistance movement uh and here if you guys remember the film of course we've got it basically it's a salt planet uh essentially it's a salt mine planet or whatever it ends up being um i thought it was beautiful uh as they were kind of going through it and i thought the scenes with regards to the fighters and things like that that were going on was really beautiful especially as some of the fighters that especially you know like poe dameron and, and finn and rose are driving is it's carving this kind of like red line through and there's some scenes in this that are just breathtaking from from that perspective and i know you you like making fun of the gorilla adats that are in this one. <laughs> oh, it's visually yeah it's very visually arresting images that aren't dissimilar from what we'd already seen. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we're here. Uh, at some point throughout this, we realize that they're pretty much trapped, they being the resistance forces. There's very little they can do. Uh, they're basically going to have their door broken into uh, by this massive piece of machinery that the, that the First Order has. Um, and then we get Luke's appearance. All right. Now, upon rewatching this, and definitely when I saw this in the theater the second time, I was like, oh my goodness, there are so many clues as to what we're going to basically be told later on in the film. But basically, Luke, he has a conversation with Leia. He walks out there in front of, of the, the First Order forces. Uh, they attempt to blow him up. They don't. Then Kylo Ren comes down. They have this I would say, you know, very pretty scene in which they're both fighting at this point. But really, all Luke is doing at this point, he's not combating him. He's just, you know, deflecting at this point uh, and just managed to avoid the actual confrontation. Uh, and it dawns on him that that him being Luke is that he doesn't need to to forgive himself for what happened with Kylo. Like, that's not... He doesn't really care at this point. That That's already happened. He's moving forward at this time. Um, but then, of course, as we find out that this is not actually Luke, it's what? It's an astral projection. There we are. Absolutely right. And and it's kind of funny. You rewatch it and you realize that, you know, his feet are not making any any marks into this salt or anything like that. And, and I remember real... as I'm watching it happen going, oh, I've been waiting for this. Because when he showed up, he looked like the Jedi we wanted him to look like. Short hair. Yeah, absolutely. The, the hair was cropped a little bit more. Like, you could tell this was a definitely a different version of, of Luke uh, as he... The version yeah. we'd been waiting sure. since 1983 to see. Sure, sure. And they... That was such a tease. <laughs> like, you're not getting what you want. Here's... We know... That was them proving to us, we know this is what you want. Sorry. Yep. <sighs> Yeah, so I think so. So as we're moving here through this, um, so basically this is going to be one of the last scenes that we see here. Um, they're able to escape the the caves on this town or on this planet, uh, and as they leave this area, you know, we realize that Ray has really discovered her ability with the Force. She seems to have mastered it to a certain extent. Um, and as they go, what was kind of interesting was at the very end, um, you've got this stable hand on Kanto Bite, and we get back there very, very briefly. And, uh, you know, the stable hand, who's like, can't be much more than a seven or eight-year-old boy that's in this situation, uh, reaches out towards this broom and pulls the broom aside, which meant that the force wasn't genetically 
handed down to people, which I thought was kind of interesting because up to this point, really the only force people that we've been introduced to throughout the, the Skywalker trilogy, obviously the prequels, not, not necessarily, but definitely up to this point, the folks that are force sensitive are of a certain bloodline or bloodlines, plural. And so this kind of showed you that it, you didn't have to be a member of these families in order to be force sensitive. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting take on that one, but I think that was a direct response to the prequels which gave us the midichlorians which was the if there was one moment coming out of the, those early the uh phantom menace that people went oh wow time out hold on what mm-hmm. was that it was more explained biologically now i grew up you remember we grew up with there in, in with the original trilogy you and i both did thinking that this is an extinct virtually extinct right mm-hmm. i just figured anyone could do it like karate mm-hmm. or martial arts it's just you had to make that commitment and there was no one around any longer to show how this is done and the empire was making sure that was not going to happen that they weren't coming back so i never so that that's that's how i just figured it was like yeah you have you can do it i mean anyone can mm-hmm but someone's got to show you how to do it, and those people are extinct. They're not around, and until someone figures it out, it's just going to – the force is gone. Sure. So I kind of felt like that was them re- resetting that. Like eh, pretty much it's out there, and anyone could do it. You just got to – someone's got to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. And since, since the one who everyone wants to do it is just going to be a jerk uncle, <laughs> someone else is going to have to figure it out. Yeah. No, absolutely. So that brings us pretty much to the end of the film. Uh, you know, there's no true resolution. I think we're just moving on then with regards to the resistance, and they're going to keep on fighting another day. Um, so that brings us to the end of that synopsis. We're going to have a brief post-discussion here and then save some of our other questions for a later episode. Um, but certainly, after watching the movie, did your overall opinion of this movie change? No. No. Would you say that it even all. did it reaffirm, or did, it, did your hatred for, for it? No, I find it hard to hate anything Star Wars. I would categorize it more of a a big disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't change my opinion. Uh, it reaffirmed the, the same problems I had with it, which I believe we're going to really dive into in the next episode mm-hmm. here uh, later this month. Um, those still existed. There wasn't anything I turned on. Uh, there wasn't anything that there it, it would neither improve nor got any worse, I would say. Sure, absolutely. Okay, so basically, um, I would say that it, just to be clarify where my standpoint has been on this is, I thought that it certainly isn't one of those movies that's a you know one of the better Star Wars movies. I don't think that it was as bad as I think people responded to it as. Uh, I think there is a contingent of folks who basically said similarly to what you're saying, which is you took some of the characters that I invested this time and energy in and believe that these guys were on the side of right and you just turned them into, you know, either buffoons to a certain extent or just kind of goofs. And and it's not like, that's not Star Wars to me. Star Wars to you is in that regard is, is almost like, you know, this, it's, it's very serious, uh, not bad. Like not that they can't be silly or have moments, but it's very, it's more gallows humor in those moments where they have it, which is a very kind of sad humor to, to it because it's, I mean, the stakes are very, very high in what they're doing. I mean, it's all a matter of life and death. It's, and it, it's, it's the impact that the actions that these characters are going to have is going to resound for generations upon generations. It's, we're not here to be cheeky and fun necessarily. Like this is a very serious, if there's moments of humor, then it's fine. So be it. But yeah, but I mean, 
you should be having fun with a Star Wars movie. <clears throat> you should. I think so too. But I think, but it's the adventure. It's the high stakes adventure of it. You know, it's essentially a swashbuckling. Uh, uh, yes, and I think this is the least fun of all the Star Wars movies. Okay, even with with the prequels, and it's n- there's so much unintentional comedy. Mm-hmm. In that, in those movies, where you're just like, oh, you got to be kidding me! Sure. Oh, and you almost can't do anything but laugh. Yeah. But where in this, you're 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 just like, I mean, to me, if you look at the overall portrayal of the characters and their failure towards Ben Solo, like Han fails as a father, Leia fails as a mother, mm-hmm. and Luke decides i'm not going to help you guys sure fails as a <laughs> i don't want to believe that of han yeah. solo princess leia and luke skywalker yeah. and that to me may be the biggest pill they had forced me to swallow including whatever occurred in the prequel trilogy i think that is a fantastic place for us to stop so again just to recap the last little bit of time this is still darren's favorite movie and he loves it so we're in the I next episode we are love going it to so much that i hate it In the next episode, we're going to go ahead and talk a little bit more about uh, where does this movie rank in all of our Star Wars films? What are some of the biggest discrepancies between critics and us, the fans? Do we consider this movie a flop? How did this impact uh, the rise of Skywalker? And then what's our overall opinion of these final, final trilogy that we have going on here? So, all right. Thank you so much, Darren, for sitting through this and and doing this exercise with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, But we'll have more to discuss in the next episode. Thank you so much.